on this resurrection morning. On Friday, not this Friday obviously, but many years ago on that Friday, Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was put into a grave. But Sunday came and he rose. And that's why we're here today. We are here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Come on and celebrate the 
resurrection of our Lord. Yes, let's do that right now. Let's celebrate his resurrection. He is alive today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Ever Same 
like our Lord and King, His glory and His name. He is exalted up in the heavens. I will bless the Lord. I will praise His name. I will bless the Lord. I will praise His name for the rest of my life. I'll forever proclaim He's good. He's good. I will bless the Lord. I will praise His name for the rest of my life. Forever proclaim He's good He's good He's good He's good I will bless the Lord Yes, let's do that right now Let's bless His holy name Hallelujah Praise God He is indeed today the risen Savior Let's praise His name this morning because He is victorious over all the power of sin, death, and the grave. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. And He gives that to His people this morning. Amen. Praise God. He is the risen Savior. There are people that want to keep Him in the grave. There are people that want to keep Him on the cross. But He is not in the grave and He is not in the cross today. He is alive forevermore. Praise God. And that life is ours to have. It is the free gift of God. If we will receive it. Amen. Amen. That is exactly, that is the only reason He came. Was to suffer on a cross and die in our place. So that we wouldn't have to. Amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Thank you so very much. It's so good to see everyone here this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday school, you can be dismissed. Amen. Continue to pray for our Sunday school. Amen. Praise God. Our opening scripture this morning is going to be found in the book of John, chapter 3. This is, I know you're not supposed to say this when you're preaching, but this is probably a familiar passage of scripture to most people. John, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, says this. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Let's pray one more time and ask God to bless the remainder of our service this morning, that he would have his perfect will. He has a plan for this service. He has a plan for you being here today. Amen. 
I don't believe in coincidences, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. All things happen for a reason, for God's reason. Amen. So let's pray that that reason would come to fruition, that all of his heart, all of his will would be manifest in our service this morning. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You are indeed risen. You have all power. You have all authority. There is nothing that you cannot do. We are a people in need this morning, Lord Jesus. We come to you. We turn to you. Our eyes, our ears, our hearts are attent under the voice of the Lord our God today that we would receive of you wisdom, knowledge, instruction, that our needs would be met in you this morning. Above all else, Lord, that your great and mighty name would be glorified in our midst. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a story told. There was a preacher, he got up in, in front of his congregation one Sunday, and he was trying to get them to understand that we don't have forever, that at some point, should the Lord tarry, we're all going to die. I mean, it's not a comfortable thought, but it's true nonetheless. The Lord doesn't come in the next 200 to 300 years. I'm not going to make it. Uh, they're going to plant me. <laughs> Right? So the, the preacher was trying to get the congregation to understand this, so he just, not knowing how else to say it, he said, at some point in time, you're all going to die. Everyone in this congregation is going to die. And they were stunned. You know, that something everyone knows, but you don't just come out and say it like that. Except for one guy in the back, he was laughing. He said, well, I'm good. I don't belong to this congregation. <laughs> well, unfortunately, although his argument is technically correct, <laughs> it affects him too. So we do know that, should the Lord tarry, at some point, all of us are going to pass this mortal coil. It's... It's a part of life. It's a part of the curse that sin brought into the world. It's not an event that any of us are really looking forward to. We know it's coming, should the Lord tarry. We make plans for it later in life. We have life insurance so that the kids are taken care of, the bills are paid, all of these things. But it's not, at least in my life, it's not something I'm actively pursuing. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the day where I'm on my deathbed. I do want to see Jesus, but as the saying goes, I don't know if I want to see him today. <laughs> and so, with this understanding, you know, we, and the reason for that is because we love life. We love the fact that we're alive and that we have Things going on, and we have all of this potential in this future. It, it doesn't matter if I'm three years old or 103 years old. I still have a future. I still have something to look forward to. And so, uh, certainly the younger we are, the more of a future we have to look forward to. <clears throat> I've burned probably a good half of mine. And so, uh, when I was a teenager, I mean, the world was my oyster. I had, I had, that's all I had was potential. I could do anything I wanted to do. 
Well, since that time, I've made some choices, and, and that means that other choices are no longer left on the table, and I still have a future. But the choices are a little bit less or maybe a bit more refined, a bit focused than they were before. <clears throat> Prospect of me going to college and getting a degree is not as likely as it was when I was 18. So, uh, but I still love my life. I still, I still look forward to relationships that I have, relationships that I'll build in the future. And uh, all of the potential that I have left in my life is all there. And so it amazes me that there are people, given the right set of circumstances, they will willingly lay that down. They will give all of that up so that somebody else can live theirs. There are examples all through history. Uh, we'll read some of them. And these men, these women, that, that end up doing that, laying down their lives so that others might live, are generally not what you would consider a very heroic person. They are unassuming. They have a sense of duty, maybe. But, again, they're people with lives and relationships and a future that they could spend themselves if they would just take a few steps this way. Or just do what they were told and get out of harm's way. But instead they do the opposite. What possesses someone to do that? What would make someone give all of that up? It's more than just a heartbeat. It's a whole future. It's all of the relationships that that person had. What would possess someone to do that? PFC Bryant H. Womack, in Korea on March 12, 1952, he was the only medical aidman attached to a night combat patrol when sudden contact with a numerically superior enemy produced numerous casualties. Womack went immediately to their aid, although this necessitated exposing himself to a devastating hail of enemy fire, during which he was seriously wounded. While he was aiding one man, he was again struck by enemy mortar fire, this time suffering the loss of his right arm. Although he knew the consequences, should immediate aid not be administered, he still refused aid and insisted that all efforts be made for the benefits of others that were wounded. Although unable to perform the task himself, he remained on the scene and directed others in first aid techniques. The last man to withdraw, he walked until he collapsed from loss of blood and died a few minutes later. Pharmacist's mate, second class, William D. Halliburton. <clears throat> Serving in a rifle company with the 5th Marines on Okinawa, exposed to enemy fire, he rushed to aid a fallen Marine the farthest away. Shielding the man with his own body while administering aid, Halliburton was mortally wounded. Hospital apprentice, first class, Fred F. Lester. On June 8, 1945, Lester served with an assault rifle platoon on Okinawa. Spotting a wounded Marine beyond the front lines, he crawled to him, despite being hit twice by enemy gunfire, and pulled him to safety. Refusing medical treatment for his fatal injuries, Lester guided squad members in providing medical treatment on the rescued Marine and to others before dying shortly thereafter. Pharmacist made first class John H. Willis on Iwo Jima on February 28, 1945, while aiding fallen Marines during a fierce action. 
He was wounded and ordered back to the battle aid station. Disregarding his injuries and the order, Willis returned to the battle area to resume casualty assistance. He was helping a wounded Marine when the enemy attacked with hand grenades. After throwing eight grenades back at the enemy, he was killed when one exploded in his hand. The Marine he was caring for survived. Corporal Thomas William Bennett, the second conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor, died at age 21 while rescuing wounded soldiers in Vietnam. On February 9, 1969, his unit came under intense fire, and Bennett risked gunfire to pull at least five wounded men to safety. That evening, his platoon sergeant recommended him for the Silver Star. Over the coming days, Bennett repeatedly put himself in harm's way to tend to the wounded. On February 11th, while attempting to reach a soldier wounded by sniper fire, Bennett was gunned down. And on and on these stories go. I, I just I chose a few, but I mean, history is replete with these kinds of examples of people who would selflessly give themselves and lay down their lives so that others might live. Again, I ask the question, why? What would possess someone to do that? All of our examples this morning are military. We can assume, at least in, in World War One, World War Two, that men would join up for patriotism, love of country, love of the ideals of, of freedom and democracy. But is that why they would choose to do something like that? Wouldn't, wouldn't freedom and democracy and, and country be better served if they were still living? At least in military examples, I would submit that the reason is love of their fellow man. Certainly today, with our political climate, our social climate, wherever you stand on that, I still love you. Uh, I have my position. Everyone has theirs. But my point being that it's extremely volatile and it's extremely polarized. And so someone joining today will probably have different motivations than 50 or 100 years ago. But one thing remains the same. In a combat unit, when men are standing together facing enemy fire, they will do things for that man next to them that they would have not considered possible before joining. And there are a lot of ideas why, a lot of reasons given. But you come to love that person standing to your left and to your right. You come to love them to the point where it's an easy decision. You get to know their families, their girlfriend, their parents, you know, whatever it is. And you become very close to them. And it becomes very easy at that point when you see that friend of yours bleeding out to give yourself for him. It's because of love. Love motivates someone to do that. They love them more than they love themselves. We see the selfless attitude in the life of Moses. 
Although we certainly see instances of Moses losing his temper, becoming frustrated. I'm not going to slight him. I'm not going to judge Moses. I can't imagine having to lead two million people, grumbling and complaining the whole way. I'd probably get a little discouraged from time to time, too. But his was a life of ministry, a life of service. He didn't have any other agenda than to serve the nation of Israel, to teach them God's laws, to lead them from place to place as God instructed, to sit on on the seat of judgment from morning until evening, settling disputes, questions concerning the law. That's all Moses did. That's all his life was spent doing, was ministering to the nation of Israel. His was a life of intercession. When the nation of Israel sinned against God, and God said, step aside, I'm going to wipe them out, and I will build of you a nation greater and mightier than them. Now that may not mean a lot to us today in the 21st century United States, but to Moses... He couldn't have received a much better promise than that. That was a big deal. To be the patriarch of God's people, that would have been pretty awesome. But he wouldn't have any of it. He continually interceded for the nation of Israel and turned aside God's wrath against their sin. His was a life of submissive obedience. He always obeyed God, except for one time. He struck a rock when he should have spoke to it. Doesn't seem like a big deal to us. It was a big deal to God. And because of Moses' position... God said, because you did that and you did not sanctify me in the sight of the nation of Israel, in the sight of my children, you will not cross this river Jordan. And Moses, I imagine these thoughts had to have at least crossed his mind. They're never recorded as being spoken. I gave my whole life to you. This is all I've done. I suffered this nation all of this time for 40 years. And now, because of one mistake, I can't enter in? But he obeyed. Never once do we see... He he asked God. He asked God if that could... Just go away. Please, can I? Please, can I? Please, can I? No, 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 no. Finally, he said, okay, go up to the top of the mountain. You can look over. You can see the land, but you will not enter it. And he submitted himself to that. He submitted himself even to that. His was a life of submissive obedience to God. Why would he be able to do something like that? I submit to you this morning, it was out of love. He loved God. He loved God's people. That's why he was able to do what he did. 
Obviously, there is no better example in Scripture than that of Jesus Christ. And he must always be the focus of our message. On this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that he came out of the grave victorious. But three days prior, he had a choice to make. Do I follow through with it or no? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to God that this would pass from him if at all possible. His flesh did not want to go through with it. I can relate to that, not being crucified, but not wanting to do something the Lord told me to do. Maybe we all can. But he prayed to God, if it's possible, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He submitted himself to the plan of God, even unto death, the death of a cross. He laid down his life. Why? So we could worship him as the Savior? So we could add a little bit more to his train? Not at all. He also did it out of love. He loved you. He loved me. Enough to suffer that kind of death. Imagine what he did. He gave up heaven and all the company of heaven. All the angels surrounding his throne, worshiping him day and night. He had need of nothing. He's God. He would have never got hungry, thirsty, tired. He would have never felt pain or injury. That was so far beyond him. But he chose to forsake all of that and wrap himself in this flesh and subject himself to the same temptations as you and I have. Because that's what comes as part of this package. When we're wrapped up in this, we have temptation. The enemy has an avenue with this thing. He gave all that up to wrap himself in flesh and dwell among us. What a privilege that was, huh? To dwell with us. To be constantly second-guessed, criticized, looked down on, misunderstood, despised. That was Jesus' whole ministry. There were some that followed him for the loaves and the fishes. There were a few that followed him for the right reasons. Most did not. After the loaves and fishes ended and he started teaching some hard things, most of them went away. He turned to his disciples. Will you leave me also? An old impulsive Peter 
So some beautiful words. Where could we go? You have the words of life. Jesus stuck with it. He continued and he finished the ministry that he came to perform out of love. It certainly wasn't out of any sense of gratitude from us. It wasn't because of anything that, that, that we were contributing to this whole thing. He did it despite us. In spite of us. Human beings. He ministered and he performed miracles even when he knew he would be persecuted for it. His desire was to help, to heal, to save. Even when he knew that he would suffer for it himself. He gave of himself, his time, his energy, everything he had was spent on others with no expectation of receiving anything in return. Now that's true love. That is a selfless love. When you could give. Well, in, in this particular case, knowing full well, we could not reciprocate that. In our natural state, there is no possible way we could reciprocate that. We can't give any of that back to Jesus. At the end, he hung on the cross, broken and bloody, suffering the indignation of a criminal's death, listening to the taunts and the vitriol of the crowd. That was his reward. That's what he got out of it. Why? Why would someone do that? Why would someone suffer that level of junk? There's only one answer. Love. Love. Because he loves us. Love is indeed the key. Love will cause us to serve our fellow man even when we get nothing in return, and even when it hurts us to do so. Love will cause us to give of ourselves, our time, our finances, our talents, even when we have nothing left to give. We'll do that out of love, not out of a sense of duty or obligation, but because we love. Love will cause us to serve and obey Jesus Christ selflessly. Humbly, completely. Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40 states this. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, there it is again. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Trying to trip him up, trying to find a hole. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, all of it is fulfilled in these two, th these two sayings. Love God, love your fellow man. If you can do that, you will not be guilty of any of the law. Love is the key. But we can't love like that on our own. 
The best love that we can serve up in our old natures is a cold, selfish kind of love. A love that demands to be reciprocated. If I love you, you'd better love me back. Now, we don't say that. We don't go into relationships thinking that. But that's true nonetheless. And that is continually demonstrated when we marry a spouse, we get into a business relationship, a friendship, whatever the relationship is, and we start putting into it more than we're getting back. At some point, that person is going to be frustrated. Why am I doing this? Obviously, I care for the relationship more than they do. And it ends. That's not love. That's not the love we're talking about. The love we're talking about, the love Jesus Christ has for us, is a love that continues to give. If I walk away from God, I put this microphone down and walk out the door and never come back, God still loves me. And he's going to do everything he can to woo me back. I can spew all kinds of hatred and, and, and venom against God, and he still loves me. And if I ask, he'll forgive me of all of that. Because he loves me. And it's his desire to have a relationship with me. He doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. He doesn't want to see anybody suffer eternal damnation. He's made a way to escape all of that. There's only two options here. We let Jesus pay for our sins, or we pay for them ourselves. Those are the only two options we have. When Jesus hung on that cross, we can't see it in Scripture. If we were present there physically, we wouldn't have been able to see it. The agony and the suffering he went through, not just because he was nailed to a tree, but because the full weight of everyone's sin, from Adam all the way till the end times, was being poured out on him. The judgment for all of that was being poured out on him in that one instance. He was suffering through all of that. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because everyone's sin was being put on him on the cross. And that separated him. Instead of God's presence, he felt God's judgment. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. So now the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just because his justice has already been served. There had to be a price for sin. God's righteousness, God's holiness, and his justice demanded it. His character demanded it. But his love and his mercy said, I'll satisfy it myself. I'll do it myself so that they won't have to. And he did exactly that. 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4 states this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We go through hard times. We go through difficult situations, even as Christians. Even as a a servant of, of God, a child of the Most High God. We still have difficult times in our lives. We don't discount that. We want to minister to people who are going through difficult times. But the plain truth is, we will never go through any more difficult times than he went through. Jesus went through literally every scenario, every situation that we could possibly go through on the cross, all at once. So in our times of discouragement, in our times of doubt, we can turn to him knowing with full assurance that he understands. Because he's already been through it. He did it on the cross. He was already through that situation that you're facing. Let him lead you through it. Let him carry you through it if that's what's needed. He loves you. And he wants the very best for you. The Lord has indeed set a race before us. In these times, discouragement, doubt, fear, we need only look to Jesus. He's our answer. He's our sufficiency. He's our provision. What was his attitude toward hard times? What did he do? He was a man just like you and me. He got hungry. He got tired. He didn't want to stay up all night praying because he knew in the morning the crowds were there again. But he did it anyway. What was his attitude toward these tough times, these tough choices? What did he do in the Garden of Gethsemane when he faced the toughest choice of all? He prayed. And then he submitted to the answer of God. He suffered things we'll never face. And he suffered everything that we will. When Jesus asks something of us, he knows what he's about. He knows what he's asking. He knows exactly what the price is going to be for us if we say yes. He knows all of that. Feel free to tell him anyway. But he already knows. But whatever the cost is, it will be less of a price than telling God no. And it will be much less of a price than he paid for you and that he paid for me. Revelation 12.11 says this, and we'll close with this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony 
and they loved not their lives unto the death. Having experienced New Testament salvation, having an understanding of what God did for us, and a selfless love of God and our fellow man, greater than our than the love we have for our own lives. When we have that, we are unstoppable. The enemy has nothing in us at that point. He has no foothold. He has nothing. He can take whatever, whatever he wants to take. He can do to us whatever he wants to do. But if we have these things, we're untouchable. They will not affect us. Paul said it this way, I am not moved. All of these prophecies concerning my imprisonment and death, I'm not moved by them. I'm ready to go and I'm ready to die if need be. How do we feel this morning? Jesus set a perfect example for us. He suffered, he died, and he rose again, victorious. The suffering and dying, he's going to take care of all by himself. All he's asking is that we participate in the resurrection. He doesn't want us to to, to touch any of that other stuff. He doesn't want that for us. He did that so that we could experience the resurrection with him. Avail yourselves of that this morning. Those of you that have not yet experienced New Testament salvation, God desperately wants to save you. If you have New Testament salvation, He wants to draw close to you. He wants you to draw close to him. That's why he died. So that that barrier of sin that separated us from him could be completely once and for all removed. And that he would have free access to us and us to him. The temple veil was rent in twain when he died, signifying that we have free access into the Holy of Holies from this point forward. Let's avail ourselves of that this morning. Let's all stand. God went through all of that for one reason and one reason only. So that we would be able to experience everlasting life as well. He created us as eternal beings. Beings that could live forever with Him. That's His desire. I will never understand what He sees in me. I will never understand why He so desperately wants a relationship with me. All I can do is be thankful for it and say yes. Because I absolutely want a relationship with Him. I most certainly do. That he doesn't just give us permission to enter in, but he invites us.
He asks us to come into his presence with desire and longing. He wants to meet with us. Wherever we're at in the building this morning, let's begin to talk to the Lord. Let's let's cry out to him, talk to him, however you want to, however, however you're comfortable speaking with him. But speak with him. Let him speak with you. When I first came into this, I thought it was pretty crazy that people said that God talked to him. But he most certainly does talk to us. Let him do that this morning. Lord Jesus, as one body, we come to you. You have risen from the dead, and you have conquered every enemy. Those things that have befallen us, the sin, the temptation, the death that we're born into, you have conquered for us. We don't have to experience any of those things any longer. You suffered death. Your body was put in a grave so that we wouldn't have to. Should you tarry, we will suffer physical death. But spiritual death is something we'll never have to face. Because in you, we will live forever after. We will live forever with you. We will spend an eternity with you. Hallelujah, Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more temptation. I'll never be able to fail you again. I can't wait for that day. To be like you, to exhibit perfectly your character. You are so beautiful. You are so wonderful. So merciful and gracious and kind. And you love us with a love we'll never understand. And we do our best, O oh Lord, to reciprocate, but there's no way we can. All we can do to show our appreciation. All we can do to demonstrate to you how much, how thankful we are for all that you've done for us is to continue to live our lives in worship and in praise and in submission to you. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful that you are victorious, that there is nothing that has power over you. You have power over all things. You are indeed the highest, and you are of a surety the greatest. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. As we go forward from this place, I pray, Lord, that you would minister, continue to minister to the needs represented in our congregation, those joining us online. Help us, Lord Jesus, this day to meditate, to dwell upon, to think about the sacrifice that you suffered at Calvary, that you did it for us, that you did it out of love. Help us to follow the same example. Help us to lay our lives down for you in service to you. 
We desire to be raised in newness of life today. Those situations we face, the circumstances that have us down, that have us fearful, that have us in doubt, we desire victory over them this morning. That your people would be free, truly free to serve you, to live for you as you desire, in a manner well-pleasing to you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto you this morning. We are so thankful for you and for your presence in our midst here today. Go with us. Minister to your people. Undergird them with strength. Bless them, I pray, and bring us back at the day appointed. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise.